you this morning, worship, and also bring the word to you. I want to thank Pam, wherever she is, for her hospitality to my son and I, Zachary. It was like a hotel, very well treated there. A wonderful evening with Pam. Will you open your Bibles with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2? And we're reading verses 1 to 12. I think that's page 1,327, if I believe, in your pew Bibles. As you go there, I want to share with you, first of all, my burden that I've had ever since coming back from South Sudan in 2015. My burden was to invest in the next generation of missionaries that would come after. And so having served in South Sudan for nine and a half years, I wanted to pass on all that I learned and experienced and put it into a manual, a manual that would be something that they would follow in their service uh, as they would go to the mission field. And so any manual that would be preparing missionaries should begin with the Word of God. You could say that the whole counsel of God is a manual for preparing for missionaries. But here we have, in verses 1 to 12, a mini-manual, you could say, where Paul gives to us a message. He gives to us motivations. And then he gives us a manner in which missionaries would prepare to serve in whatever context, whether you are here locally or whether you go overseas. So let's look at here, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. As we see this manual, look for the message, look for the motivations of missionaries and also the manner of missionaries. I want to remind you that as the believers in Thessalonica, as they heard the word, not as the word of men, but as the word of God. Hear now these words of the living God. For yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. But even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak for covetousness, God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, not just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil, For laboring night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you, we preach to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly 
we behaved ourselves among you who believe. As you know, how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children. That you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So ends the reading of God's word. May the Lord bless it to our hearts as we study it. Some of you may be wondering, a manual for missionaries? What message is this going to be for me? I'm not going to be a missionary. Maybe I'm too old. Maybe I'm too young and I have other plans for my life. A manual for missionaries. Let me remind you that the word missionary, if you know, it means to be sent out. And all of you have been sent out. What did Jesus say to his disciples in John 20, 21? As the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. So that when he told his disciples, commanded them, the Great Commission, as you are going, make disciples of the nations. You have been sent. You have been sent on mission. Whatever age you are, you are on mission to make disciples. So in that general sense, you are a missionary. In the classical sense, missionaries are those who are sent out to other places to plant churches. But in the general sense, all of us have these words. They're applicable to us. Words for missionaries, people who have been sent out. And as we see here, we have the church in Thessalonica that Paul and his missionary associates planted. If you look at verse 1, Paul, Silvanus, that's Silas, went out with Paul on a second missionary journey and then picked up Timothy along with them, went to Thessalonica and established this church, and we could say that maybe within three Lord's days this church was established. And yet he writes this letter and the next letter reminding them how they had received the word of God. They had received it as it was, not words of men, but the very words of God. They had received the message. And now he's telling them how their hearts were when they were among them, their motivations, and also the manner in which they lived, reminding them three times he says, you know, you know, you know how we lived among you. If you look at chapter 1, also in verse 8, he says, For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God had gone out. And as that word went out to them from Paul, they saw that, heard this, they also took that word. And that word was proclaimed by them in that whole region in every place. That's why he could say to you, to them in verse 5, in chapter 1, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. You know. You know how we were among you. You heard the message from us. And you took that message and you also observed the motivations of our hearts. You observed the manner in which we lived among you. They set a model, an example, a pattern. These missionary associates said, this is how we lived among you. You saw it. You heard from us, and now this is how you are to minister with the word. 
to imitate, to follow. And the first in this model is what they are to say, the message, the message of missionaries. This is one message, just one message that they had received from the missionaries, one message that they are to proclaim. What is it? Three times it's mentioned, this message. Did you get it in the hearing of the word? It's the gospel of God. One message, the gospel of God. It's a gospel, good news, that belongs to God. It's his gospel, his message. And that's the message that they were to proclaim. It's a message that Paul was entrusted with, that he was a steward of in verse 4. We've been approved by God, be trusted with the gospel. They were faithful to proclaim this gospel. And it was in the midst of opposition, of insults, of mistreatment. Look at verse 1. We come to you was not in vain, even after we had suffered before you, were spitefully treated at Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God. In much conflict. Even though there was opposition, there was conflict, the gospel of God went out. They heard the gospel. And what is the gospel? It's a message of a free offer of life, of salvation, the forgiveness of sins. And it's all in God. God who has sent his son to this world and the son submitting to the father offered himself up his own very life on the cross. And the Holy Spirit taking that work, that final finished work of redemption and applying it to all those who would hear this gospel message and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the gospel of God. It's good news of life in Jesus Christ. That's the message they heard and that's the message that they proclaim. Now why did they proclaim such a message in such a powerful way that when they heard it, they believed on it and they began to go out and proclaim it themselves. It's because Paul not only proclaimed this message, but he offered himself up with it. Look at verse 8. So affectionately longing for you, we were pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but what else he says, but also our own lives because you had become so dear to us. The message that Paul and the apostles proclaimed came with their very lives. And when I was young as a new believer, I was listening to Pastor Al Martin. I would binge on his sermons, in my, these cassettes I would play in my car and And I would listen one sermon after another, but I remember one particular sermon from this text. And on this point, he said these words, love is cultivated by involvement. Let me say it again. Love is cultivated by involvement. As you minister to people, as you serve them, and as you want your family member your neighbor, whoever that person is, to hear the message of the gospel. 
do you find that love is being cultivated with your involvement in their lives? That's what happens. There's a transformation that, that comes, and that's what I experienced when we were in South Sudan. I tell you, I did not love the people that I love now. I was very frustrated with them, annoyed with them, even the calling of God in my life to serve these people. But these words, love is cultivated by involvement, were ringing in my ear for those early years as we sought to bring the message, this gospel of God to them. I tell you, when I see the people of Awil from a distance, when I see them, not having seen them in a while, my heart leaps out of love for them. Over all these years of serving the people of Awil, love is cultivated by involvement. Are you involving yourself into people's lives, desiring to he- that they would hear the gospel of God? That's the message. But are you also bringing your own life with it? Because that's what the message teaches. It's a message of sacrifice. We also sacrifice our very lives. Have you experienced that transforming message? The affection that Paul had for the people of Thessalonica grew even in that short period of time. They had become so dear to him that he gave his life for them, laying down his life and sharing the gospel. That message that he shared, even in the midst of opposition, he offered himself up. So that's the message of missionaries. Let's turn now to the motivation. And these motivations of missionaries, and there are four of them. And if you'll be honest, when you're serving people and you're, you're involving yourself in people's lives, you know very well that you have mixed motivations. There are there are pure motivations, impure motivations. There are, in your heart, you know at times you are selfless and you're giving of yourself to people. At times they're very selfish, even as you're serving, selfish motivations. And the Apostle Paul is giving to us a model, an example of, of, of selfless motivations because he had learned how to crucify those motivations. He had learned how to to put off the selfish motivations and put on the, the sacrifice of selfish motivations. Let's look at the four motivations. Verse 3. Paul and his missionary associates sang with a clear conscience, for our exhortation did not come. These are all in the negative, these motivations. Did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. All that they proclaimed in their exhortations and with this message, their motivations were pure. They were speaking out of the heart that was clean, without any deceit. And the word there is trickery. It's like the picture of a, of a lure. Children, if you think of fishing, you put a, a lure on a hook. And that's what some preachers are like. They want to catch people and trick them and deceive them and, and lure them in for their own gain. And they said, we did not deceive. There was no deceit, no uncleanness or error in our message. So that's the first motivation. Secondly, not motivated to please people. In verse 4, 
we have been approved by God and trusted with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. God who examines and tests the hearts knew that Paul, in his proclamation of the message, it was not so that he would gain those who would applaud. He was not seeking to please. He was not a man pleaser. This is one of those motivations that we know very well, isn't it? This desire to please men. Well, Paul says, I'm not a man pleaser. Thirdly, verse 5, he was not motivated by greed. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor cloak for covetousness. God is a witness. God could see in the heart and see that there was no greed, no coveting of people. When the preacher is up there in Africa and South America, a prosperity preacher, he's looking at the wallet, how much he's going to get. Paul says, there's no greed in my heart, no covetousness. And fourthly, this motivation in verse 6, nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. In their authority as apostles, they could have demanded, and yet they didn't. They did not seek the praise or the glory from the people of Thessalonica. These four motivations, to review them, not for impure motives, not motivated to please people, not motivated by greed, nor seeking glory from people. All these motivations were not part of Paul and his ministry. A few years ago, I came across a website of a church in Quebec City. Quebec is the French-speaking province of Canada, and Quebec City is the city in which I was born and grew up in my younger years. And so when I see a website of, of what least seemed to be an evangelical church, proclaiming the gospel, looking, reading through their website, started listening to the sermon. And yet in the middle of the sermon, I was shocked to hear the words, the next time that you put your hand in your wallet, there will be more money than you had in there before. Somehow. <laughs> this kind of preaching is found all over the world, and it is exported from America, from Canada, online, in the books. And it's being eaten up as though it's the gospel. And it's no gospel at all. It is deceiving masses of people around the world, millions. And I was like a guardian of the Awil people to keep prosperity preachers from coming to that place in South Sudan. But the devil is at work through preachers who are luring people in. And I don't think I'll ever see a day of a prosperity preacher in the RP church, but beware yourselves. Beware what you listen to. And the preachers. Well, we're going to not just look at the Apostle Paul and his heart as he exposed it and his motivations, but I want you to look at your own heart and the motivations of the heart 
God is a witness. He sees it all. And when he looks into your heart, what does he see? As you serve. When you looked at those motivations in the negative, what is, what is there? Are you looking for praise of men? Are you looking to be thanked by others? Looking to be appreciated? Are you looking to please them? It's a real temptation, isn't it? We know people that grow up all their lives, the fear of man, and they're constantly looking to please people. And their motivations are all directed at the person and all the people around that are watching, witnessing the service. And all they want to do is please people. All they want to do is to get the word thank you and appreciation. Is that you? What are the motivations of your heart as you're seeking to serve? When you find those faulty motivations, what do you do with them? You continue on, you let them fester in your heart, or you, do you actually repent of them? You turn from them, acknowledging these motivations for what they are. They're sinful, they're selfish. What do you do with those motivations? You confess them before your Father. But you're not serving Him, are you? What does Paul say in Galatians 1.10? He says, am I seeking the approval of men or of God? Am I, am I, if I'm trying to please men, I'm no longer a servant of Christ. What does Colossians 3.23 and 24 say? Whatever you do, work heartily to the Lord knowing that from the Lord you will receive your inheritance as a reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So in your service, it's not in a, on a horizontal level. Yes, you are serving people. That's what we do on earth. We serve people, but your service ultimately is to Christ. It's the motivation of the heart. Is it directed to the people? Or is it to seek commendation from Christ, serving Him? in your service to others. So who we are serving is the matter of the heart. And that's not evident to others. You know what is in your heart, is the motivations of your heart. That's something you need to address before the Lord. But there is a witness of those who are around, who observe you in your service, and they will see the manner in which you are serving. So here's the third point in this mini-manual for missionaries, and that's the manner of missionaries. You've already learned that Paul's manner was not using trickery. He was not using deceit. He was not flattering people for cover-up of greed. But now we're looking at positive ways in which Paul and the missionary associates were living among the people of Thessalonica in this city, the manner, their conduct of life. And he's reminding them of how they lived among them. So first of all, in the manner, they were gentle. Verse 7. Look at verse 7. We were gentle among you. And here is an example here, a picture of a nursing mother cherishing her own children. And we saw a baptism this morning and the beautiful way in which... Uh, 
This little one is being held by father, and I'm sure by the mother, any mother looking at that infant child, tenderness, gentleness, cherishing that infant. You can see it in the manner, the mother looking at that child. Now Paul says we're like that among you. You see that picture? That's the way we were. Gentle among you. Secondly, in the manner, showing love. Verse 8, showing love. We looked at this already, affectionately longing for you, this affection of love. You had become dear to us, this love that Paul and Silas and Timothy showed to the people of Thessalonica. This brotherly love, beautiful love. This love that's also pictured in verse 11, of a father. Now this is, at times, this tough love, exhorting, comforting, charging, imploring every one of you as a father. His children. His own children. Imagine, just in those few weeks that they were with them, they could enter into that relationship to see them as their own children. We were spiritual fathers to you. And we implored you, exhorted you, we encouraged you. That's how we were among you. That was our manner. You know. You remember. They would remind them. Now thirdly, they worked hard among them. In verse 9, For you remember, brethren, our labor and our toil for laboring night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preach to you the gospel of God. How do they do this? They entered into the city of Thessalonica and they observed that these people had an issue. They were lazy. They were idle. This is something they point out in this letter and the next letter they write to them. And they wanted to make it very clear that if you will not work, you will not eat. And we're going to show you in our manner of living among you that we are going to work hard. We're going to toil and labor because this is the way you need to work. The manner in which they lived, by example, modeling to them, working hard. That's how they presented that message to them. And fourthly, finally, listen to this. In verse 10, you are witnesses and God also. Of what? How devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. Imagine that. In that short period of time, everything they did was just, devout, and blameless. It was entirely without reproach. They could say nothing about these missionaries. That was their manner of ministering among them. There were two witnesses to that manner of the integrity of their conduct. There was the church, the people themselves observed it, and God himself was a witness that they conducted their lives consistent with a good conscience, without blame, that both 
the message that they proclaimed as the messengers was fully aligned. There was nothing they could say about these missionaries. So these ways in which they were genuine missionaries, they were gentle to those they served, they loved them, they worked hard among them, and they were without blame, blameless toward them. And I've witnessed my many years of service in Africa as a missionary, how these messengers of this message were not consistent. What they were saying and what they were doing was not lining up. I was speaking to a Kenyan pastor as, as a young missionary myself and asking him what are, what's some advice you can give to me of how I could be an effective missionary. And he said, well, I remember a time a Kenyan missionary, I think from the U.S., he was here and, and at one moment he, he became very angry with one of the Kenyans and he started to bash his car with many people around watching this. He said that really spoiled his witness in the community. What about me? In South Sudan, I cannot say I'm blameless, as Apostle Paul could say. When kids would throw rocks at our tin roof, I'd be so frustrated wanting them to stop. I would run out of my house, and they would start sprinting away. I would get on my bicycle, and I would chase them down through the field and terrorizing them. I wanted them to be in terror. At one point, a kid threw a rock at the car as we were driving by. I stopped, the, well, I started veering the car toward him, and he was running for his life. I got out of the car, picked him up, this little kid, and I told him in Dinka, don't throw rocks at the car. Dropped him. If anyone saw that, they would have thought, this man is bringing a message to us. I'm not going to listen to that. See, me as a messenger, I was not lining up with the message. How is it for you? How is it for you as you serve? Because when we look at our witness, people are watching, are they not? Your neighbors, your coworkers. It's Father's Day. Fathers, your children are watching. Parents, your children are are watching. Whoever it might be, there are people witnessing the way you're living your life. And is it consistent with the words that come out of your mouth? Are you not only talking the talk, but walking the walk? When we look at our own lives, we have to see that we have a message, a gospel message. Are we conforming our lives to that message? What, what does the message say? The message of this gospel that it comes from God. A message that we've been given to proclaim. Are we living according to that gospel message? And what is that message? It's a message of life. Is it, is it a life that we are offering ourselves to? not only from our hearts and the motivations, but also the manner in which we live our lives. We can look at the Apostle Paul and, and these other missionaries, see their example, 
models for us, but ultimately, we're looking to the greatest missionary who has ever lived. And that is the one who was sent from heaven. The one who lived his life perfectly aligned in accordance with the message that he proclaimed. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, who he himself is the one who is the door into the kingdom and glory. Look at verse 12, that we would walk worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. So all are called. Not many are chosen, but all are called to come to the gate of this kingdom. That you would be born again to see this kingdom and see the glory of this kingdom. There's a kingdom on earth that's coming There's a kingdom in heaven that is to come. And the glory of God and the gospel that is fully displayed in Jesus Christ. The glory of the gospel in Jesus Christ. Do you see it? This message that has come to you this morning. And there are some people here that are in Christ and you have been convicted. That you have, yes, maybe preached this message and you are serving, but you have mixed motivations. And you know there's a lot of selfishness there. You know that so often you are just trying to please people. You forgot your reference of service, the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know that your life has not been consistent to the message. And so let this be the moment of time you and brother and sister, that you would confess. You would repent of that sin. To actually walk that walk. And those who are not in Christ, maybe you're a young person, and your life is full of self. There's nothing in your heart is about service of others, giving of yourself for others. That was me when I was young. It was all about me. And so, for the first time, repent of your sin. That's what sin is. It's all about self. Living for yourself. And now live for the one who gave his life for you. I don't know you. I may never preach here in Bloomington again. Maybe my first and last time. But each and every one here, please consider and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Consider Jesus, the one who offers his life for you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, full of love, a gentle, cherishing love. We thank you that in your great loving kindness, you have sent your son, the greatest missionary who's ever walked this earth. None of us are worthy of this calling And yet you have called us to walk in a manner worthy of you, 
worthy of the gospel that we proclaim. May you grant us the grace to forget ourselves and our selfish motivations as we seek to serve our neighbor, whether near or even far. In this place, Father, I pray that there will be some the seed of this call to go to a new place and establish or be part of a gospel-centered ministry proclaiming the gospel of God. Would you send even from Bloomington? We pray, Father, that none in hearing this word this morning will go from here unchanged, but that this gospel of God will be sown in the heart to bear fruit of eternal life in your kingdom and glory. Praying this in faith, confidence, as we pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Returning now in responding to this word and singing his word, Psalm 36, the B selection. 36B. We're singing of the Lord's love. It reaches up to heavens, his faithfulness to the skies. So will you please stand with me as we sing of his love and remain standing for the benediction. <clears throat> 